Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. The whole industry is incredibly seductive. They're very good at making you feel like your day is the most important thing to them. People were very distraught to not have their weddings during the pandemic, obviously, you know, and they missed out on really great experiences with their friends and family. So now they're back and able to have these. They're really, really investing in that setting. Cost is such a big factor, you know, because everything does add up between travel accommodation, but also outfits and gifts and all that kind of stuff. So we're in August, the month that sees the most couples getting married, having what's often sold as the best day of your life that may well turn out to be the most expensive. The average cost of a wedding in 2021 was £17,300, according to the wedding planning site Hitched. But the cost doesn't just fall on the couples, with a recent survey by Experian reporting that a quarter of guests can't afford to go to the weddings they're invited to. So this week we'll be discussing how to cut the cost of weddings, whether it's one you're planning or attending as a guest. And for this, we're joined by a stellar lineup of guests, which journalist Grace Witherden and Zoe Burke, head editor at None Other Than Hitched. It's so great to have you both on the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us on. Well, can we start then with these prices? Zoe, what's behind that figure of 17300 the average cost of a wedding? How are couples splitting up their budget? The biggest spend for couples is their wedding venue hire, which is around £7,600. And then on top of that, the average cost of catering per head is around £65. Then you've got the dress, which is the next biggest spend. That's £1,300 on average. And brides are spending about £70 on their makeup. Then you've got things like the suiting, which is around £500, and the photography, which is on average £1,200, which seems like a lot of money but actually when you think about what goes into the wedding photography you know the editing the prep the equipment they need to use is actually quite a good deal and then the remaining sort of six and a half thousand from that number is you know flowers cake decor party gifting favors things like that there's so much to consider isn't there well we'll get to how you might be able to save on on some of those things later on but according to your survey the total average cost of a wedding is up 90% on 2020 and that's when you ran the survey the year before interestingly this is actually pre-pandemic so what's behind such a steep rise i think it's an investment in experience people were very distraught to not have their weddings during the pandemic obviously you know and they missed out on really great experiences with their friends and family so now they're back and able to have these they're really really investing in that setting people are spending so much more on the venue spending on the venue has increased by 40% and they're spending 20% more on their catering 
So we've seen that even though guest numbers have actually declined, people are spending more on food and on the setting in order to really invest in an experience that they could enjoy with their friends and family. It, it's become a case of quality over quantity. I can relate to that. I should have been a 2020 bride and actually a lot of my friends should have been as well. So I was right in the thick of it, of all those people kind of experiencing the cancellations and then, you know, pushing dates back. Yeah, it's a tough old time. Yeah, devastating. I was on the um, UK Weddings Task Force throughout the time working with the government to try and help find a solution, which obviously, well, you can see how effective (laughs) it was. But, you know, it was hard work and I felt so bad for so many couples who were just in the midst of so much uncertainty. It really was such a difficult time for so many people, wasn't it? Well, let's get down to some of the ways we can save then on on weddings. Venues really take up a big chunk of the budget. How might you be able to cut costs there? Yeah, so I've been speaking to a few brides and grooms that are planning their weddings right now. And, you know, they were telling me that it really does differ where you are in the country. Obviously, if you live by an area and you want to get married near your hometown, that's great because you might have friends and family that are coming. But if your friends and family are scattered everywhere, it might be worth looking around to see if you can get a cheaper venue, perhaps not as near where you are. And it's also good looking at what days you want to get married because you actually can get a much cheaper venue if you're getting married perhaps off season or, you know, on not a Saturday, basically. This doesn't work for everyone because some people, you know, this this is their special day and they want to have the day they want to get married. But, you know, if it's an option for you, it's worth considering. My boyfriend like recently went to a wedding on a Sunday and he said it was really good. He did have to book the Monday off work. So it's good for the bride and groom if they're going to save money. Not always as convenient for the guests. <laughs> and the other thing you can look at is a no corkage wedding venue. So this is a venue that will allow you to bring your own alcohol without being charged for opening it and drinking it on site. Because some of these venues have big alcohol packages that can really cost a lot of money. So it's definitely worth looking around to see what your priorities are and what you're really interested in. Mm, I um, initially was going to have a a dry hire venue for my wedding. And actually, I went down that route because I wanted to try and save money on alcohol. And I thought generally doing it all myself would be cheaper. But actually, that way, there was a lot more planning involved. And it was starting to really add up, you know, having to hire, in my case, I was having to hire crockery, get staff involved. I mean, the the list really does go on. It can be a a lot of work. Have you seen much of, of, of kind of dry hire uses, Zoe? It's really interesting that you say that, actually, because our wedding survey found that more than one in 10 couples now are actually having a totally dry wedding in that they're not serving alcohol at all. And that's a great way to save money. You may not be popular (laughs) with your guests, but it is a huge chunk of the budget, especially, you know, corkage or not, it, it is something you end up spending a considerable amount of money on. And I can see why couples are opting out of it. Well, let's now hear then from a bride-to-be about how she's budgeting. Here's Emma, who's getting married next October. I think it's definitely made us weigh up what is and isn't important to us. So I knew that I really wanted a videographer because I wanted good, high-quality recordings of the speeches. And I knew that one day I'd want to look back on that. Same with photographer. That wasn't something that we wanted to scrimp on. But there were other elements like... I don't think we'll bother with favours. It feels like a bit of a waste of money. I don't know if we'll really bother with a wedding car. I think the flowers, I'll try and DIY them myself to save some money there as well. And also we deliberately chose a venue that has no corkage so that we could bring our own alcohol 
and also it'd cost a lot less because a lot of venues, the amount they charge per head for alcohol does actually add up quite quickly. I mean, we looked at one venue and the actual venue hire was a lot cheaper. But once you added on how much it was going to cost to get the alcohol package per guest, for me, you didn't really save enough money to make it worth it anymore. Something I've really noticed is I think the whole industry is incredibly seductive. They're very good at making you feel like your day is the most important thing to them and the most special thing, which then makes you want to spend money. And I think there's quite a big kind of comparison culture around it now, you know, with the growth of social media and seeing all these beautiful weddings on Instagram, it really makes you want to make yours bigger and do more with yours. Like I've really noticed that everything about weddings almost seems to get bigger now. You know, I've noticed that a lot of brides now also have an evening gown and the bridesmaids have, you know, matching satin pajamas and dressing gowns to get ready in in the morning. And it just seems to be growing and growing and growing, which obviously just means spending more money. So I think you have to try and check yourself and just not get too sucked into that comparison culture. Because ultimately, if you ask yourself, the last wedding you went to, do you remember what colour the napkins were or what the font was on the menu or you know you just don't just that stuff just isn't important people just remember whether they had a good time so I think that really is what you have to try and remember about it and I think also try not to do things that you don't want to do just for the sake of tradition or because you should like don't get too sucked into that tick box element of a wedding make sure it's how you want it to be and make sure you aren't spending money just to make it look good in photos because I think that's just not what you're going to remember about it. For example, my wedding dress, I don't really suit white. It's not really a colour I wear. <laughs> it's just not very me. So I bought a coloured dress, which actually meant it was cheaper because it wasn't white. Because I think you'll find if you get a formal dress that's white, that's classed as a wedding dress, suddenly it's a lot more expensive. So there are ways you can keep it true to you that might mean you cut some costs. I really, really like how Emma has done what's right for her. It's the advice couples are so often given, myself included, but it can actually be quite tough to follow it through because everybody has such strong opinions of what a wedding should include, what you must splash out on, where you shouldn't cut corners, and you'll never quite please everyone, will you? Well, I think weddings are built on tradition. You know, that that is the very nature of a wedding. It is one tradition after another. But it doesn't mean that you have to keep doing things because of these traditions. And this is something I am always saying to couples through my work at Hitched. This industry is a wonderful industry. It's made up of so many small and often female founded businesses. And that's what makes it so special. And there's been a real shift in how people plan and work with these businesses post pandemic. So you do see, you know, a lot of the matching pajamas and there's so many pre-wedding events now, but there's also the investment in more meaningful things on the day. You know, photography spend has increased and it's going to last you a lifetime. And I think the best way to approach this and to make sure that you don't overspend on your wedding is to see your wedding as an expression of yourselves and invest in the stuff that is really you. And you don't even have to skimp on things, but you can skip the stuff that doesn't matter. And once you remove that pressure, you're going to have a really awesome wedding and you won't resent forking out for things that aren't really you. If you're not a cake fan, don't do it. If you know you couldn't care less about flowers, don't have them, but spend the money on something else that is more meaningful to you. 
Oh, that advice is so important, Zoe. And another thing Emma mentioned is saving money on her wedding dress. And and again, I I love how she's done it here. According to the Hitch survey, brides are spending an average of £1,300 on a dress, as we heard, which I'm sure is a lot more than most people would actually ever spend on an outfit to wear once. And I can add my two cents here because I had a wedding dress made by a tailor and she didn't actually specialise in wedding dresses. Um, When I was getting quotes, I found they tended to, to charge more. But she did an amazing job. So I definitely recommend considering that. Are there any other tips you'd add for dress shopping? Absolutely. I think you have to be honest with the shops that you're visiting up front. I spent years working in the bridal trade industry. And honestly, bridal wear shop owners are some of the loveliest people I've ever met. And they really, really want to help you find the dress you love. And if you have a tight budget and you tell them up front, they will be able to help you. You know, shops have sample sales. They have different price ranges. If you're really clear about this is the max I want to spend, they are not going to try and give you dresses to try on beyond that budget because they want to make a sale ultimately. They're not going to try and push you into something that you're not going to buy. And if they don't have options that are within your budget, they are going to point you to other shops that can serve you better. Yeah, I definitely agree with those tips. And I think it's great that Emma's just chosen the dress that's for her as well. I've got a friend that's doing similar because you're hopefully only wearing this dress once. So you don't want to spend absolutely thousands on it. You can always consider pre-loved dresses and look at secondhand websites. Obviously, you might have to pay extra for some tailoring or make some amendments to it to make it fit you perfectly. I definitely think that more people are looking at secondhand dresses now. There's so many ways that you can find a secondhand dress. There's so many apps. And I think, you know, Oxfam has a a secondhand dress shop. And there's really great ways that you can look. Another tip is that We have seen recently more high street chains doing like wedding dress collections that are a lot cheaper. You know, they're never going to be as good a quality as, you know, a really expensive dress. But if you are on a really tight budget, it might be something to look into because, you know, your friend might have spent X, Y, Z on a dress. It doesn't mean that you have to as well. Yeah, that was always my intention. You know, I had a quite a simple kind of silk design that I thought, you know, I could cut a bit off the end, dye it, and then I can reuse it. But I haven't done it yet. But it's definitely on my list of things to do. And actually, do you know what? A lot of bridal brands are becoming more aware of that wear once mentality. And I have seen brands introducing dresses that are made so they can be customised and altered after your wedding to be worn again. So even though you are spending more, you are going to be able to get more wears out of the outfit. I think that's a great idea. I like the idea of reusing it in some way and, and not just like sitting in a box. And on that note of secondhand and reusing, of course, this also applies to guests, doesn't it? You know, it's so tempting as a guest to buy a new outfit for every wedding or or feel like you need to. But going for secondhand or renting could be a great way to save here, you know, as well as being good for the planet. Yeah, I've I've definitely been doing this recently. We've spoken on this podcast before about saving money on clothes and the secondhand apps you can use. And I actually did this for one of the weddings I've got coming up. I've found a, like a dress on Depop, which I've bought. Um, I need to check it like fits okay, but I thought that that would be a good idea. And, and I've also got this new rule in my life now where I'm trying to sell old stuff and that sort of funds the new item. So I'm not constantly buying. So yeah, I've had, I've had a few sales and I've been making some purchases, but I think Depop and Vinted are really good for that. There's obviously other ways that you can also like find, there's other apps out there and you can also look at renting. But I definitely think it's like worth having, or, you know, even like rewearing something you already 
already have. Maybe you could like style it differently or have some different accessories. Because the saddest thing is like having a lovely dress that you've just worn once and like not being able to like find another occasion to wear it. Yeah, I think that rental is a really great option as well. I am actually a bridesmaid for my sister in October. I'm the only bridesmaid. And I feel sorry for her because I am really quite fussy. And I didn't want to wear a traditional bridesmaid dress because I didn't want her to have to spend upwards of £100 on a dress that I would really only wear once because I am all for re-wearing. I don't have any of the Instagram shame. You know, I'll wear a dress over and over and over again if I love it. I'm not going to wear a bridesmaid's dress to somebody else's wedding. I can't think of an occasion where I would re-wear it. So I talked to her about renting. And actually, I have rented a really lovely dress. It matches her colour scheme. It's not traditionally bridesmaidy, but it's very me. And I'll feel comfortable in it. She's not spending a fortune. And it's better for the environment. So we're all really happy with that solution. Yeah, it's a brilliant idea. And being honest is, is kind of the, the start of that conversation, isn't it? You know, it's, it's so important. Oh, so much, so much about weddings is rooted in being honest. <laughs> yeah. And also with that, you know, like I've, I've definitely heard stories where someone's got, you know, five bridesmaids, the groom's got five groomsmen, they all need to buy new suits. They're all matching and they're all like obviously a race specific style when they're matching that wedding. And you really can't get much you can't always get a lot of wear after that after, but, you know, sometimes the brides and the grooms are having to pay for it and pay for their guests, but other times you sort of have to front the cost as a bridesmaid and it's always a bit awkward, like, who really pays for that? Mm, I think it's much more common now for bridesmaids to be wearing different dresses, to potentially be wearing a dress they already have kind of within a very generous colour scheme, you know, pastels or a few different shades of different colours. And, you know, in hindsight, we rented suits for the groom's party. But to be honest, that wasn't really something I really cared about doing, but we felt like we should, you know, for the photos. But again, I think, yeah, looking back, having had all of your advice, Zoe, maybe I'd have been a little bit more true to myself and not done that thing. But let's go back again to another point Emma makes. She mentions that her and her partner had some contributions from their parents on their big day. And according to the Hitch survey, three in five couples had financial help from their families in 2021. Do you have any tips for how to approach this subject? Yes, this is such a tricky conversation. And do you know what? When I took over as editor of Hitch.co.uk, the first newsletter I sent out was about how to ask your parents for money towards your wedding. And I got a complaint straight away from somebody who was very unhappy about this. And I was worried because <laughs> it was my first, first newsletter in the job. But people do feel very strongly about this. And I think you have to go in knowing it may not be an easy conversation and you have to go in with no expectations. If you think, okay, you know, I'm going to ask my parents or my in-laws for money and with this money, we're going to have a champagne tower, we're going to have a limo, we're going to upgrade our honeymoon suite, whatever. And they say, no, you're going to come away feeling so disappointed and it's going to really damage your relations. You need to go in not expecting anything. Let them know ahead of time you want to talk about money. You want to talk about financing the wedding. You need to make it really clear it's optional and you need to discuss the terms. You know, if they want to give you money, that's all very well. But do they expect that they will get a say in how it's spent? You need to be really clear about that because that causes a lot of family friction. Some extended friends have to be added to the guest list or that kind yes. of thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have very traditional views and they may give you money and hope that you will spend it on traditional things that you may not want. And that is one of the biggest disputes I hear when it comes to family wedding budgets. And 
I think the other thing to really be clear about is, is this a loan or is this a gift? And that is something that some people don't always get cleared up straight away and it can cause problems further down the line. But I think my, my main tip is to go in with no expectations and to let them know that is what you're going to be discussing ahead of time. So everybody's prepared. There's no surprises and nobody leaves feeling like devastated that it hasn't gone how they wanted it to go. And what about then all the other wedding expenses? Of course, it's not only the venue and, and the dress or suits. It, it could also be flowers, wedding favours, hair, makeup. As, as we've heard, the list goes on. Um, can we run through some of the other ways to save? Yeah. So you talked about hiring suits before, but I actually think buying a suit is a really good investment, especially if you're likely to wear it again, because, you know, a good quality suit is something you can wear for years and years and years. They don't really date unless, you know, you've gone for 70s lapels or something, but they're pretty timeless and it's a solid investment. But if you're not likely to wear it again, definitely rent it. And if you're on a budget, skip your wedding favours. I personally love a wedding favour. I'm really excited when I go to a wedding to see what the favours are. But whenever we do polls on this on our hitched Instagram page, so many people are like, well, I don't care about favours, which which surprises me. If you love them though, like me, or if you are more traditional and you want them, make them work harder. Like have favours that double up as the place cards for the table. Or I went to a wedding once where the favours were a make your own cocktail kit and they came with a little alcohol miniature, a mixer, they were in a mason jar and you could mix it up yourself at your place. I mean, you need to check your venue's corkage rules before you do that. But if you have corkage restrictions in place, you can always give people a drinks token so they can exchange it for a drink at the bar or something. You can make your favours really simple. And other ways to save costs include things like serving your wedding cake as dessert because that will cut the cost of serving an extra course. And honestly, after you've had a three-course meal, Nobody really wants to sit and eat a slice of wedding cake. So you may as well, if you spent on the cake, get it served as dessert to get it used and to get value out of it. I would say I went to um, a wedding recently and the free course meal went on so late that I think it was you know, like 11 p.m. and people were like, what about the cake? <laughs> and then there were some people then like really insisting on having a cake. So you're having to have like a cup of tea and a cake at like half 11. But like half the party, obviously, like at that point, you know, wanted to be dancing. So, yeah, it was a little bit awkward. But that same wedding, going back to favours, the two brides, they got their family to make honey. So the favour was like a little pot of honey that was like homemade and they'd put like a sticker on it and I could like reuse the jar and stuff. So I thought that was a really nice favour. That's so lovely. We have a lot of DIY tutorials for favours for making like your own fudge or biscuits or things like that. And people love it. It is extra work. So if you're finding wedding planning a bit stressful, yeah, get your family to make them instead. But it is a really great way to save money. And the final thing I'll say, and it's kind of related to what you were talking about, about, you know, who really wants to eat at 11pm is twilight weddings. And it's not like, don't think Edward and Bella, it's not the vampire kind of twilight, but it's a real growing trend for people to have weddings that start in the evening. This year, we've had a 324% lift in traffic to our article on twilight weddings, where couples get married as the sun is starting to set. You only have one meal that served a little bit more of a normal time to eat. And you don't have to put on evening food. You don't have evening guests. And it's a much more simple, you don't get the full day. So it's not for everybody, but it is a really creative way to save money and have something a little bit different for your wedding. 
and can we flip the coin now then and talk about how much money we're spending as guests uh, and how we can save there? As I mentioned earlier in the show, Experian found that a quarter of guests can't afford to attend weddings they've been invited to. Its survey of a thousand people in May also found the cost of living crisis meant one in three had to decline a wedding, stag or Hindu this year. Grace and Zoe, it's really not surprising, is it, given they can be so expensive? And, and it goes back to what Emma was saying about there being a big comparison culture making each hen and stag as good or better than the others. Yeah, I, I've been really lucky this year because um, the one hen I've been on was basically just like an evening of bowling and burgers and it really suited me. It was in London and I thought that was great. But a few years ago, I think my boyfriend like had a spare, I think he had like three or four stag do's in a year and all of his holiday and all of his money was spent on going like from stag to stag and they were all in European like cities. So they were all like long weekend things. Obviously then COVID hit and he got a chance to save money. <laughs> but I, I definitely think that, you know, he was spending a lot of money going on, on these stag do's and I just been really lucky and gone on this one hen this year, which really wasn't expensive and it was just a day and I just really enjoyed that. There's a lot to be said about just getting to know the other people coming to the wedding at these parties, isn't there? Because in a way, just sitting in the park or going to a pub or someone's house and playing some games is kind of all you need, the fundamentals and all the other stuff. It can just be extras that that aren't really necessary. I think the problem is we are so bombarded with celebrity handies. You know, we see groups of girls in their matching outfits going on a plane heading to a villa and you feel like you have to keep up with that and we did a survey on Hitch where we found that 85% of people had felt worried about the cost of a Hindu which is huge and this is something I've been so mindful of I'm in the process of planning my sister's Hindu and I do I feel very sorry for everybody because it's me planning it and I am obviously very immersed in weddings and I see a lot and I have very big ideas. And I've tried to scale them down for people because I'm mindful. It's such a varied group. It's a group I don't really know. I don't know their finances all that well. I've tried to keep it as budget friendly as possible. And I think a big part of that is not going overboard on all the extras. You know, we've, we've got a house. I'm not going to say where we're going in case my sister listens because it's a surprise. But I made sure it was really affordable for everybody. There's two nights. I haven't done like a jam-packed itinerary because I've been on Hindus where you've spent hundreds of pounds to go and every hour of your day is accounted for. So you've spent all this money to go somewhere and you don't actually get to experience it yourself. So for Sophie's, I've made sure there's only one activity that everybody's involved in you know there'll be drinks at the house and games and things like that but there's only one forced fun element everybody else then is free to go off and explore in groups all together if they want to like I'm very conscious they've spent this money so they should be able to enjoy it on their own terms as well and I am going to give people little party favors but I'm not expecting people to chip in for that because I've been on Hindus before as well where we've chipped in to receive gifts for ourselves which I wouldn't ordinarily buy and I resented spending the money on it so I'm making sure that outside of you know the food people are going to eat the place they're going to sleep and the activity they're going to partake in they're not paying for anything else Sounds brilliant. Can we come? You can because it'll make the costs even cheaper. (laughs) Well, let's dive into more of those costs then for wedding guests. Not taking into account hen and stag parties, just going to the wedding itself. Experience says it's £567.20 per head, which is a pretty surprising amount, I think. Grace, how did they reach this figure? 
Yeah, it looks like a surprising amount, but actually when you go into it, it's kind of what you expect. Accommodation, you know, they had down as £116.80. Now, you might be booking two nights because maybe you've had to travel and you've had to book the Friday night as well as the Saturday night. So sometimes you need two nights depending how early the ceremony begins. A gift for the couple, they've put 115. I would say that's slightly more expensive than what I've spent this year. Sorry to everyone I've given gifts to. Perhaps that's like with someone else, perhaps that's teamed up. An outfit, 130 pounds 20. You know, I, th- I think that's quite expensive as well, but it also depends what you already have. You know, if, if you if you don't often go to smart occasions and you have no smart jacket, no smart shoes, no smart accessories, maybe that's where you're having to spend more. Travel, £98.80. I think this can really vary because obviously it could be a wedding abroad. It could be other end of the country. You could have to drive. You could have to get the train. So I think, you know, if you can, when you're going to these weddings, always see if you can buddy up and maybe split the cost of petrol or make sure you book tickets early, but we'll we'll come on to that later. Beauty treatment, £67.30. I mean, my haircut, if I was getting a full new cut and colour, perhaps it could be veering on that. But I, I wouldn't just get that for a wedding. It would be because I'm I'm getting my hair cut anyway. <laughs> and childcare, £56. Now, these costs won't apply to everyone. But, you know, obviously those with children do need to find childcare. And you might not be lucky that you're able to leave your kids with a parent or relative. It might be that you need to get a babysitter. That could like definitely end up costing a lot of money. And we were talking about, I should mention, we were talking about childcare last week on the podcast. And we've seen that the prices can be through the roof. So actually, yeah, I, I can really see how you, how you could spend that or, or even more. Well, we'll talk about, as you say, how we might be able to save on some of those areas in a moment. But first, let's hear from one of our listeners again. This is Julian Fatterford from London. He's been to four weddings so far this year and has another three to come in 2023. It's all adding up. And there's various different ones, of course, like, you know, some that are a bit local and are very easy to get to in terms of travel or I don't need accommodation. But there are some which are abroad and oh, that all adds up. And, you know, all of them are special. All of them are friends that are you know in love and getting married and I want to be there for their special day. And I'm honoured to be a part of it. So, of course, I want to attend and say yes to as well, pun intended. But cost is such a big factor, you know, because everything does add up between travel accommodation, but also outfits and gifts and all that kind of stuff. So I've had to try and obviously think about how much I'm spending. But so far, I mean, it's probably looking at like in total over a couple of grand, which once, you know, you're adding up five, six, seven, eight weddings, which is obviously nothing compared to what the uh, happy couple pay, but it can be a lot for wedding guests. And to a certain extent, I've found stuff in the UK or close to home can be just as expensive as some things abroad. So it's been a it's been a tricky balancing act. But planning is definitely have to plan ahead. And weddings typically are planned far in advance, so that does play in your favour there. It's all about planning. I mean, my job is a planner, so I do quite like planning and getting ahead. And I know that some people aren't, but the best tip is honestly have to get as soon as that invitation comes through and you have dates, it's getting ahead of it and booking because otherwise things go, not just availability, but for travel and accommodation, it just disappears. So it's definitely what I've had to do. From a fashion point of view, from what you're wearing, I probably could have done a better job of recycling my clothes and not spending too much on outfits, which I feel like I have a lot as well. I feel like, you know, you kind of don't really want to wear this exact same thing, particularly if it's in the same year or the same summer period. And that kind of gets 
you know, you kind of want to be able to not always buy new stuff. And I've kind of done an okay-ish job of, you know, making myself look different, but also <laughs> using the same suit or <laughs> shoes and stuff, but, you know, making, mixing things up a bit. But I think I probably could have done a better job of that. And I think that's also part of the cost as well. One thing we haven't touched on is the gift and the gift registry and being conscious of that as well, because that's also another cost and whether or not the couple expect or have acknowledged any sort of, you know, gift giving. And that's something as I feel is kind of out of my control, but from a sort of fashion point of view and what I wear, which can be very costly for people, I think I probably could have done a better job of minimizing that. And that's probably something I think, you know, people need to take into consideration as well. Grace, Julian makes a great point about planning ahead. Come on, how much can you save? This is definitely, I think, one of the biggest tips. I would say as soon as you get that save the date, look at booking accommodation, look at booking your travel tickets, you know, if you're going by train. The train companies typically release trains 12 weeks in advance, but some go on sale even earlier. And the longer you wait to book, the more likely the price is going to go up. So, you know, there are some hacks you can use. You can split the tickets, you can get a rail card. There's so much info on our websites about this. And there's not just one type of rail card. There's actually quite a few rail cards. You can get a two together if you're traveling with one other person there's obviously the the age related ones so it's definitely worth seeing if there's a rail card for you and you can save a lot of money with them I did a quick look and so I you know I took London to Edinburgh Saturday the 27th of August an open return was 138 pounds but with a rail card which costs about 30 pounds it was 91 so that's saving a 47 pounds and it's already paid for itself and you can use that for the rest of the year So I really think they're worthwhile looking into and booking as early as you can. And accommodation was a big chunk of the money that we're spending. What can you do to save money here? So I think here, and I feel this one because I've got three weddings this year and it does mount up. We have been trying to book as early as we can. And sometimes this even means, you know, needling the couple for details before the invites go out. If you're confident you're on the guest list, because... As soon as those invites go out, everybody is booking the hotels in the area. And you can also use comparison sites to make sure you're getting the best value for your money. One of the things we've looked at for a wedding we're going to in Kent this year, ultimately it didn't work out, but if it had done, it would have been great, was booking a shared Airbnb between a few of us. So splitting it between three couples to spread the cost further. I can relate to that one, Zoe, because I've split Airbnbs or other types of accommodation many, many times um, for weddings. It's such a good tip. And now onto something we have already mentioned. Um, Julian touched on gifts, and it can be so difficult to know what's expected or appropriate, can't it? Um, we heard an experience breakdown that people in the survey were spending around £115 each. Grace, you've already touched on this. What, what do we all think about it? How much would we usually spend? It really varies, doesn't it? Because sometimes couples will say, oh, don't worry about gifts. But then you still kind of feel a bit guilty like you should. And I had one recently where they just wanted us to like donate towards our honeymoon, which I was quite happy with. And there were different packages that you could donate. So buy us a trip or some drinks or a meal and you could spend however much you wanted. And the other one, there, there was like a gift registry. But in the end, I thought, you know, it's simpler just to get a John Lewis voucher. <laughs> I think, to be honest, £115 is quite a lot. I mean, I, I want to get married for these expensive gifts now. But we find at Hitch, the average people tend to spend is about £50, which feels much more reasonable in comparison to 115 Absolutely. I mean, even £50, if you're going as a family, it, it kind of racks up, doesn't it? But but as you say, I think we you, know, you should really stick to your budget and, and not worry too much about what's expected. 
Yeah, definitely. I do think there's no point breaking the bank. The bride and groom, I'm sure, are going to be getting so many gifts. And if, if they want something specific, then hopefully they've shared that. But if they do want something that's a bit more expensive, perhaps you can all pitch in for the gift so you can see which other of your friends are going and how much you'd be willing to put in. And you know, it does take one person to sort of be the chief organiser, but I do think that that's a really good way of the bride and groom still getting what they really want, but it being split between a lot more people, which I think is a lot more manageable. A group gift really makes sense. There's a lot of gift lists out there now that do actually provide this option as part of the registry. So a few people can pitch in together and it's really easy to do. Another way I would suggest saving on a gift is if they're going on honeymoon and you know where, looking at the currency for the place they're going to. And if the exchange rate is favourable, you can give them kind of more for your money because it looks like you've spent more than you have and it will go further for them in their destination. And that's kind of a nice personalised way of getting around spending loads. And we're a big fan of cashback on the show. And this could come in handy um, with gift buying, can't it? As well as other spending, even like booking accommodation. Yeah, definitely. Like we do love chatting about cashback, but you know, it's definitely worth looking into if you're if you're going to make a big purchase and you don't always have to use a cashback credit card. You know, there's sites like Top Cashback and Quidco where you can there have set deals on. I had a little look last night and you can get 16.5% of cashback back when you book on uh, Moonpig at Top Cashback and 10% cashback on Bloom and Wildflowers. So it's always worth having a little look at these cashback websites. And, you know, if you do have a cashback credit card, definitely worth using that to make some of these big purchases. But the only thing I would say is that make sure you pay back the money every month or the interest is going to wipe out any gains that you could make. So I, I make sure I have the money, but I'm using it on that because I'm getting extra cash back. And finally, then, can you both leave us with your, your final or maybe favourite even piece of advice for saving money as a bride or groom or a guest? Yeah, so I would say for the bride and groom or brides and brides, grooms and grooms, for the couple, my top tip would be prioritise. Think about what you really, really want. Think about the top five things that's going to make your day absolutely incredible to you. Invest in those things and then everything else, don't worry about it. You know, if you're on a budget, just make sure that you're putting your money in the stuff that really matters and don't do things because you feel you have to. And for guests, I would say, re-wear your outfit. Nobody is going to be looking through your Instagram thinking, hmm, they already wore that dress to Ascot. Nobody thinks like that. So re-wear it. It's fine. I like completely agree with that, with the re-wearing, and it's definitely what I'm going to do. I just think it's such an easy thing. It can save you so much money. And and I guess be honest with the bride and groom, if you're a guest and you, you're really struggling with some of the costs or you've been invited to a hen or a stag do and you're really worried about the money, like try and have an honest chat with them. You let them know what your budget constraints are, because I think that it's always better to be honest and like go along with it, that actually it's going to really ruin your budget for the next six months or whatever. So I definitely think it's worth just trying to be honest. Thank you so much to Grace and Zoe for coming on the show today and to you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. Before you head off, please do hit follow and subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and a review wherever you're listening. For more money news and advice, find us on social media at Witch Money and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. And there's also our free money newsletter, which is delivered to your inbox every Monday. To sign up, visit witch.co.uk forward slash money newsletter. This episode of the Witch Money Podcast was produced by Grace Witherden, with additional support from Rob Lilly and Ian Aikman and edited by Eric Greer. Mm-hmm.